folks, welcome. Time to talk with Marie Smith. I've just had such a lovely chat with Marie, um, who is the owner of the Artisan Bothy. And she's also a She Wordsmith, I think I've got that right. She Wordsmiths and uh, does photography, and she's such a talented lady. Um, but she's very, very talented because she's got labs, which is really important to me. So sit back and enjoy my chat with Marie about all things from Craigie's civil engineering through to Labradors and um, and furniture restoration. So enjoy time to talk with Marie Smith. Take care and stay safe. Bye-bye. Hi folks, I'm here with the lovely Marie from the Artisan Bothy. I'll never forget where you're from because you've got it on your, um, on your, on your, your, is it an apron or an overall or is it done great? apron, yeah. So it's I'm a very, very messy small. painter, a really messy painter, so I need to have lots of cover-ups. Oh man, you know, when I paint this in my hair and it's all over my face and I've got down my jeans and I'm terrible at it. But Marie, it's so good to have you on. I'm so glad you said you'd come on to it with me. Um, Craigie, where to start? I mean, I can't believe that you used to be a civil engineer. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's interesting. I I was it goes before that actually. When I was at school, I was the first girl to take A level engineering drawing, and I was the first girl in the whole of the town, not just the school. I remember having a real. Um, should we say debates with my engineering drawing teacher who said, um, let's have a look at your O-level results. Because it was all A's and A-levels where we were down in England. And uh, let's have a look at your O-level results. And he said, um, well, I think if you had a choice, I would probably choose needlework because I did really well in my needlework as well. Okay. And I went home and I remember just spending the whole evening just depressed because I thought, I don't want to do needlework. I had to make like 12 garments and and know all the latest fashions in all the cities across the world and my mum and dad were poor you know they were really poor they didn't have money for that sort of thing and I remember thinking I don't know what I'm going to do about this because I really want to do engineering um, and there I was at sort of 16 years old I went back in the following day and I went and found um, Mr Ashworth and said um, I've had a good think about this and I've decided I want to do engineering and he said it's funny, actually, because I was coming to find you this morning, because when I got home last night, I got a real telling off from my wife, <laughs> suggesting we did needlework. So that was it. Um, I guess the the scene was set that I was always going to be a bit of a, a rebel when it came to deciding what I wanted to do with my careers. So, so yeah, that's what I did. I put all the hours in and got really good A-level results and decided I didn't want to carry on at university. I wanted to go into... Um, vocational training so I got a job at the council so in the summers game in the what sorry was it like the old apprenticeships it was kind of like that they did sort of a two and a four year um sort of short term so you did a day release at college Mm -hmm. uh Bolton Tech I went to um one day a week two days a week actually It it was one day in an evening and um and that, that was me, so for the, the four years, and then I became a full-time at the end of it. So it, you worked for four days a week, and then you did college for a day a week. Um, 
and I was I was in the watering at the sewerage industry wastewater. I mean, it used to be a great, you know, when you go to the clubs and the pubs and, you know, the guy would be saying, so what do you do? And you go, I work in sewers. <laughs> <laughs> what a shadow of Conversation stopper, you know, it, either, it was either a great line or a really, really bad line. So anyway, <laughs> in the end, I married... I married the team leader that I worked for for wow. several years. So yeah, so we we kind of ended up back in house anyway. That's brilliant. So, what kind of things did you do? Because I don't I don't know um, anything about the sewage industry or how um, how the sewage. Um, so did you do like all the pipe work, or did you do? Yeah. Were you involved with the buildings right at the beginning and? It was mainly, so it's all like low ground infrastructure type work. Um, the, the local councils had the agency at the time to, to operate and maintain and design the sewage network. And there's a whole, used to be, there isn't, it's probably still there but redundant now, but underneath, well, pretty much, much the whole of the UK, the, the sewer network is big, big brick tunnels underneath and they were all starting to degrade. And I'm talking about man size, you know, people can stand up in them. And there was a, a big project that went on for, oh, probably a couple of decades, I think, replacing all of these with big, massive tunnels and storage shafts. And most of my work was on the drawing board. So mine was more about problem solving. So you go out with the engineers I was a I was a technician so I was a civil engineering technician and you go out with the engineers and under the, the survey work and then bring it back and what you've got to do is try and make that work you know you've got a route to get to and long sections and um, then you've got these shafts with all these different levels of pipe work coming in and so it was a real every project was a problem solving project and I think that's probably what set me up for just about every career change, if you like, I've ever done. So it all comes back to problem solving. Um, and I realise that's what I like doing. You know, I'm a, I'm a fixer. Yeah. I like to fix things, so. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I've done like analysis, I've done systems design, systems analysis and project management. And all of it has really helped me with every career that I've had. You know, just um, mm-hmm. moving through setting up documents and managing myself and managing other people. And yeah, it's amazing how that first, if you get a really good career when you first leave school, it sets you up for the rest of, of everything yeah. else that you're going to do, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. So you, you lived in Bolton or you live near Bolton? I lived in Oldham actually, but Bolton was the sort of renowned. It was the it was the Institute of Technology at the time, so it was it was a college. But it went on to become polytechnic status mm-hmm. after I left actually. So it, they did degrees and, and all sorts of things. So, um, so yeah, I started off. I did Manchester for a couple of years, I think, Manchester College of Building, but then moved to Bolton because I decided that Bolton was a a far superior um, yeah. establishment, really, um, and that showed in the results. You know, it was it was a better standard all round. I think. Brilliant. And what well, made you what made you change careers? Why did you leave, like civil engineering? Well, it's. I mean, what would I have been? I would have been eighteen, and we moved up here in. So that was nineteen eighty three, and I moved up here in. 
2009. Mm -hmm. And I actually stayed in the wastewater industry or in the water industry. Mm -hmm. But what I did was I started off at the drawing board end. So I was doing the design detail. And then I went to work for a consultant and moved into the what we call the needs and solutions stage. So it's analyzing where the sewer network might fail and then coming up with project solutions to get funding for. And then I moved into the water company itself to do the whole asset management plan. So they used to do five, every five years, they get to essentially bid for how much they want to charge the customer in order to maintain their network. So I, and then from there, I ended up moving into their IT side, which probably sounds strange, but it was business analysts. Yeah. So it was, we now have a water company with people on the ground who are still sweeping sewer screens, you know, at sewage works with brushes and driving all, you know, driving miles and miles around the whole of Yorkshire Water it was. Um, and they're looking for software solutions to help them work more effectively and efficiently. Um, so in effect, whilst I was no longer on the drawing board side, it was still problem solving. Yeah. So I kind of lost the civil engineering side, but became more a, and this is what tends to happen within the water companies that people are not kind of pigeonholed into those that build and those that design. And you get people quite often will weave their way through different roles within the water industry, but it's all related back to a transferable skill, I suppose is, is the way to look at it. Um, so yeah, I was, I was still a civil, still officially a civil engineer when I moved up here. Um, but then, of course, when we moved up to Scotland, I say up here, up to Scotland, um, the opportunity to stay with the water company pretty much disappeared. Our nearest office is two hours drive away. And I had a decision to make, um, which is how I ended up going into the events industry. Wow. Was... So you, did you move straight to where you are now? You moved into the home you're in now? Yeah, yeah. We had it for three years as a as a like, little bolt hole retreat, but the intention was always to retire here. Wow. Um, although we hadn't planned to retire quite as quickly as we did. Uh, <laughs> Steve got the opportunity to be, to be a home worker and decided he could home work from Scotland just as easy as he could home work from Manchester, which is where, you know, we were on the outskirts of Manchester by then and, um, and his office was in London. So he could fly to London from here quicker than he could get the train down to London from where we were. So. Technology is amazing, isn't it? It's just yeah. everything so much. Yeah. Nice yeah. that way you don't have to live in the city to work in the city. It's just all awesome. yeah. Um, Marie, have you been to the Hollow Mountain? I haven't, no. Do you know the, the, the reservoir, the water thing, where it... Um, oh, God, it's... No, I'm good. Oh God, the Scots going to hate me for this. Is it Kraken? Kraken? Carrican, they're probably going, it's this, Les. Um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. I've got, I'm sorry, I'm going to be really rude and look it up because it's going to drive me mad. There's, a, uh, it's in the, I think it's in the Cairngorms. And it's, um, it's, it's a hollow mountain. The reservoir's at the top and they use it to generate electricity. Have you not come across oh, that? I don't know. I, don't I, haven't, know. I haven't seen it, but it looks, 
I'm, I'm being really rude now. If I hope you don't mind, I've just got to find out what this is called because you're going to drive me nuts, and I'll not be able to concentrate on what you're saying. Um, but it looks. I'm just writing that down because that sounds like a fantastic thing to go and see. Yeah, I mean, it just looks amazing. I'm sure it's called the Hollow Mountain Reservoir, Scotland. God, YouTube. Um, Right, it's Croc and oh, that's not how you pronounce it. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. I'm really sorry to everybody who's Scottish laughing at me. My <laughs> it's um, it's C R U A C H A N, and I'll put a link in the notes. And it's a power station, and it's a man-made reservoir. And what they did is, I think what they do is the allow the water to drain so far during the day okay generates yeah. electricity and then when the electricity when the, gr- the electricity is cheap or something they pump it all the way back up to the top oh, of the okay. okay and it's a, a energy generator and i wonder if i amazing just it. when you were talking about you know these big tunnels and wow yeah no that sounds fascinating i'm surprised we've never heard it steve might have done because he's um well, again, he was a civil engineer, but ended up more on the geotechnical side. So um, building all sorts of things, including pumping stations, but um, but working in some very um, quite harsh countries. So he was putting infrastructure in places like Kosovo and um, wow. yeah, and, and out in sort of like the Saudi Arabia type areas and places like that. So yeah, God, that's amazing. So you you moved into the events business. I will get onto your dog. Where I'm trying to do it chronologically to see where the dog fits. Yeah, in. Where it all came so in. You you then became a an events planner. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always I suppose the other side of me was a bit of a board organizer. I love a, a bit of a social secretary. Really, if there was an opportunity to do anything, whether it's entertaining at home or getting a, a group of people together at work for a night out that was that was the sort of thing that I uh, that I really enjoyed doing and I was doing that for many years um, a member of the family was um, a Freemason and I got the opportunity to do some of their uh, stationery and, and help with um, a little bit of their side of planning the events that they had to do when it was kind of their year and and I think that got me interested because I thought there must be a market for this Mm. and for years I kept thinking there must be a market for this um and it was only when I hit a real low I was I'd I'd gone through a a really tricky period I'd I'd taken a basically taken the wrong job at work and I really got encouraged to take it and it really didn't suit me and I ended up off for a wee while with stress and it was during that time that I thought do you know is this the time to make a change and start to do something different um so I started up my own business wow um in event styling so it wasn't event management it was event styling so it was putting all the pretty things into events and although you do end up being a little bit of an event planner as well with people that don't really know and understand how things work um so yeah that that was that was how I ended up going into the event side of things and I I then went back to my full-time job but continued to do this as a little sort of sideline and interest really um and it it worked wonders in I suppose a number of ways because it took my mind off some of the other things that were going on and it was I always felt like it was never going to be forever because I could move to a 
to do in my own business. And of course, when we came up here, that was the business I brought with me. Um, the decision was taken that if we move, then I need to have a form of income. Um, I couldn't come here and retire. I mean, I, was, I wasn't even 50 then, Les. So you can imagine, as people used to say, I can't imagine you hanging your boots up and said, no, not for a long, long time. So, so that was what I did. I um, brought my events business up here and effectively rebranded and started all over again. So I was doing pretty well in the Manchester area. And then, of course, you come up here. And it's a, it's a whole new... Um, it's all new customer base. Um, you're much further spread. You're dealing with lots of different uh, venues, much, much different venues. And even the way you can get married up here was different to where it was down where I came from. Because you had to go into a licensed venue down in England. So there were only certain venues that were allowed to conduct ceremonies where up here you can pretty much get married anywhere, can't you? No, so... Yeah, so that was that was the event side. Wow! And so, where where does that fit in with when you got your first dog? Were you, oh, were you actually, yeah. Well, our our first dog was uh, earlier than that, so that was back in nineteen ninety. So we would have been we'd been married about three years. Um, do you remember the TV series Super Dog? I do. Super I, do. I saw you'd written down it was Super Dog that you were interested in. <laughs> fantastic absolutely loved it I remember us being glued to this and going wow look at what those dogs can do that's amazing and that was what planted the seeds so we um we actually got a rescue dog to start with we got this spaniel Springer spaniel and he was being given up by a family who wrote this lovely letter about what he was and you know why they couldn't look after him anymore and he turned out to be um, he obviously had some psychological issues uh-huh. and he bit, he bit me and he, and he bit the girl that used to come and do my ironing quite badly and he'd been nipping at the ankles of my father-in-law who lived with us at the time. We thought he was making it up because we never saw the dog move Yeah. and he used to go walking by and he'd say, she's bit me and she was a he, you know, so we were thinking of this he's obviously getting confused and um and so yeah the spaniel was with us for about three or four months and we sent him he ended up going back to the rehoming because i said it i just can't yeah. it was our first dog les and i think we knowing what i know now we didn't know enough to take on a rescue that potentially we didn't know enough about yeah. um and as far as we know he went to join the raf as a drug and uh, yeah we said he went, went to be fitted out for his uniform they said they were getting trial to go and join the RAF because they're quite keen on taking or were quite keen on taking dogs that were a little bit older so he was just on the borderline he was three maybe four years old um, and they would take dogs up to about that age as potentially as sniffer dogs and, and working dogs so, wow, that's so that was uh, yeah that was Danny so we so Danny went back and we decided we still wanted to consider a dog and we got Megan. Um, you probably can't quite see from here, but Megan was our first yellow Labrador. Um, I see if I can just, there you go. Oh, so just in the top left there. So that was Megan. Um, but she was primarily show dog. She wasn't, we didn't 
really didn't understand how you find out about working lines and things like that. So she came primarily from show lines and we used to call her our dizzy blonde. No offence to blondes, but she was really dizzy. Right there with you. <laughs> she, was, she was really dizzy. Um, but she was brilliant and she taught us so much and we had her for nearly 17 years. Good she really, really yeah, awesome. She that. got to see here when we bought here. She was coming up here with us, and so she had her her final winter was here with us. So awesome. She was amazing. She was amazing. Um, by which time we introduced more dogs then from the from the working lines um, coming in because we we really just wanted to work the dogs and. Um, train with them and uh, yeah because that's what that's what they love doing you know they're born to do it I think so I think I think if you've got a working dog if you can even if you're not going to take them out shooting I think or picking up or beating or whatever it is you know people do with them I think um, if you can tap into that intrinsic behavior you know like if you've got a retriever yeah. teach it to retrieve you'll have a happy dog at home if you've got yeah. if you've got a well I was going to say if you've got a spaniel teacher to hunt but you don't have to just give it a dummy um and I think it's really important if you've got any of of the working breeds to do stuff with them mm-hmm. and it gets us out as well you know so we didn't Steve and I have often had diverse interests so you know we spend all week working and then the weekend we wouldn't necessarily spend together he would go off clay pigeon shooting I I did eventually do some clay pigeon shooting actually but but again I only did that for a little while um and I did that primarily just to try and have some similar interests but working the dogs together and training the dogs together and that feeling of satisfaction when what we used to do was as the older dog as, as we brought a younger dog in and then he would work with the younger dog and then I I got the older dog to work with great distractions and um, yeah teal was like our oldest working dog and he was a black lab from the drag said lines so oh, nice. we always used to say he was like an exocet oh my god he yeah. was yeah yeah absolutely but he was just um he was special yeah i'll get emotional now but yeah he was he was a special boy um he was smarter he was smarter than any of us, or at least he thought he was, I think. Um, and he taught the other dogs, you know. He taught them the way. And, you know, we look at Kira now, and they had a side-by-side kennel. And he always kept his kennel spotlessly clean. He was devastated if he ever had an accident in his kennel. And Kira's, Kira was the same, you know, while she was a, a kennel dog. Um, the two of them... Beautiful spotless kennels. You go next door and we had this scruffy little cocker spaniel who had been brought up with. She, she'd come from a, she, she moved with a set of pack hounds. So she, she didn't, you know, she, she wasn't house trained. She wasn't even kennel trained. And of course, she was next door to Grouse. So her and Grouse were the dirtiest. Grouse was also a black labrador, but they were the, the scruffiest little apis. You know, they, they didn't care. <laughs> I've got to ask you the question why black because you had you had the lovely uh, yeah. Megan who was yellow what made you go black 
because people are generally black labs or yellow labs or yeah you um, don't get much of a crossover a lot of the time what no and do you know if i'm honest i'm not entirely sure why we went black other than um by the time we were looking for because a number of years had elapsed we'd had we had megan for nearly 10 years before we decided to to bring a, to, to get a working dog. Um, and I think it was because by then we were going to lots of country fairs and watching lots of demonstrations and there were a lot of black labs. I don't know, you will, you'll know this yourself as a, as a Labrador um, person, Les, but for a while yellows were not so, were getting harder and harder to come by in the, in the working lines and people were working much harder to bring the yellow back into the lines. Yeah. So there was a lot more blacks around. And I remember just falling in love with uh, watching a couple of black labs. It might've even been John Halstead seniors, um, black labs that we were watching and going, wow, look at that. Isn't that just a beautiful dog? Small, you know, a much smaller build than, than, than some of the other dogs. I mean, they, they're going back the other way now, so they tend to be a much stronger um, builds, I think. But the, the working lines, you know, the Drake's headlines particularly were getting smaller and smaller and smaller, you know, they were becoming almost like sort of whippet size, you know, some of them. But we were just particularly taken with, um, with a couple of blacks. But, well, I'll be honest, we didn't actively go out and decide we were going to have a black Labrador. It was, it was, we looked at the lines and we looked at kind of the working dogs that were making that up and thinking, well, we've seen that one work and we know that's a good dog and we've seen that one work and we know that one's quite a good dog and that would make, you know, that looks like it would be uh, good lines. And the litter that we picked from when we got teal was only blacks you know when we went we knew we wanted a dog this time um and interestingly enough we've gone the other way now because we're all we're all we're all bitches yeah all bitches um but for a while dogs were our thing you know um yeah so there wasn't there was no science behind choosing a black other than we just felt like it'd be nice to have a black lab um I mean, I'm going to of course, we've got yellows now. So the two that are in the kennels now, so Sally and Isla are yellows. So we've gone, we're back the other way again. Ah, I hadn't realised that. I um, I mean, I'm going to say black. I did have, mm. I had a golden retriever and I just got so fed up with blonde hair all over. <laughs> I wear black. I wear a lot of black and black jeans and black trousers and, um, oh man, just blonde hair everywhere. Yeah. You know? But then, yeah. I mean, that it, my Goldie, when he shook, he just like this big blonde mm. cloud come off him. And um, so I'm sticking with black. Mm. Hopefully, hopefully, I am, I'm after a, one of my uh, trainees has got a bitch who's due in season any minute. And she's a beautiful black lab. And I'm hoping she's going to give me a black dog. Oh, okay. It's time for Excellent. me. So I kept going when we saw her last month. I was going, give me a black boy, give me a black boy, give me a black boy. So, you know, I'll probably get a yellow bitch or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's often the way, isn't it? It's you always with this idea. Of, yeah, she's yeah. a lovely dog. She's a lovely mm. dog. So we'll, we'll see. But, um, oh my goodness, I was going to ask you something and it's completely gone. 
it's going to be oh dog and bitches so why why because you started with bit, a bitch and then you went dogs and now you've gone back to a bitch and I've only ever had one bitch and that was when I was 13 my first mm. bitch and I've had dogs ever since so why why do that you turn I think, I suppose there were a number of things. One, because Megan was our first dog and she wasn't from working lines and our experience was um, she was easily distracted. And I suppose um, you plant that in your mind, don't you? You think, well, that's, that's bitches for you. They must be easily distracted. So we'll, you know, and uh, so we decided, well, we'll probably look for a dog this time. We, they seemed uh, stronger characters, um, not the same issues with coming to, because if you want to keep them intact and they come into season, um, whether you're a, a shooting person and, you know, it messes up your shooting season, messes up, in inverted commas, or whether it's just simply the fact that you... decimate it for a month. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, you're not working this month, you know. Um, or if you just do tests, open tests, or... Um, going along to scurries and things like that, you know, yeah. if your bitch comes into season, um, that potentially, and I suppose when you've only got, at the time we only had the two, you know, you, your options, Megan, we never worked a, really other than just a little bit of playtime, um, Teal was a little bit more of a, of a working dog. Um, and Grouse was the same, really. So when we got Grouse, we decided, well, yes, we like the dog, so we'll get another dog. Mm -hmm. um, and then having done that, I think we switched back to bitches. So we only had two dogs in the months, effectively, what will now be four bitches. Um, in all honesty, I think we thought if we had a nice bitch, we would at some point consider whether we would like to get our own kennel name which which we have mm -hmm. and breed from our own bitch not not breed as in breed to sell but our next dog or bitch would come from our own mm -hmm. bitch um and you can only do that of course if you bring your own bitch in so that's that's kind of the thought process behind where we started with with megan went through the dogs and then and then went the other way and back to a, back to a bitch with Kira. Um, and do you then through as a do you know the difference? Well, it's interesting now, isn't it? For all that we said, dogs. So I love you know I love working dogs, and I do. I I really enjoyed working Teal because he's he's a bit like me, really. He's headstrong, and he was you know I realised that was more about him and his personality, and not. Not whether he, not his gender, but because um, we've got bitches that are like that as well. Um, but Steve says he finds bitches now um, more biddable. Uh -huh. And again, that might just be the character, the way they are, but he finds them slightly easier to hang on to, slightly easier to handle. Um, we may have just dropped lucky in the ones that we've had. Um, having said that, the the last one that we've got, she's she's out of her own litter, but she's oh, she's a harem scarum, I can tell you. <laughs> she, she tests his patience. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think in the main, he would probably stick with bitches now um, rather than switch to a dog. As he says now, if you put a dog in amongst this lot, we really have got chaos, haven't we? So, <laughs> not, you know, it's yeah. um, keeping them apart. But um, 
So yeah, yeah. So bitches, it's remained. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I haven't really considered getting a bitch. It was only just there when we're talking. Thought, oh yeah, it'd be typical. Probably will have all girls, and then I'll be stupid. Mm. I have to decide. So because the lady who my friend Jill who who's always bred my lab, she stopped breeding now. Mm. She retired from breeding, and um, yeah. So yeah, there'll be no more of the tagtastic line for me. No, which is a shame. So when um, Maria, I've only ever known you as two things. As uh, I say, two things. I'll actually say four things. <laughs> thinking about it, I can't count. So I met you um, through the ASB uh, mm. the beginning of last year. So you 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 do stuff for the Association of Scottish Businesswomen. Uh, do you still you you're still on the committee? No, I uh, I dropped off the committee this summer having done almost six years as part of business women's groups so i first came in to murray business women who of course is one of their affiliate groups um in all honesty just to have a bit of a social life i felt like i was you know i'm rural very isolated the events and wedding business you'd think would lots of people around but actually it's not it's really isolating for six days a week you hold up here ironing chair covers and and then you get to a venue and they open the door and they let you in and they just leave you to it so you know apart from when you're meeting customers you didn't really meet anybody at all um and i i reached a point where i thought gosh i'm coming up for 50 and i, I still haven't really met anybody up here I don't have a lot of friends and I have neighbors and things but I kind of felt quite isolated so that was why I got into Murray Business Women um and that was 2015 I think I officially joined their committee although I'd been a member for a wee while um that's right yeah 2015 I won Business Woman of the Year that year uh-huh. and then went on to be their vice president president and then having completed all of that I had uh, literally six months I call it a sabbatical I went doing bits of volunteering so I trekked in the Sahara and uh, a year later went volunteering in South Africa and decided that's me I'm not going to do any more committee work now for a while and the, the association it was Wendy Maltman actually who was the president at the time said would you consider joining our committee so I gave it a good thinking about while I was away and thought yeah I might like that actually so yeah I did that for two years wow so when you when you did your sabbatical and you went off to South Africa is that what really got you interested in photography because I've seen you do absolutely this is the other thing that I knew you from was um your wildlife photos you your she wordsmith which is your Mm -hmm. blogging and the artist Sam Boffy, which of course is what you yeah. got on your apron. Yeah. But so was it when you were in South Africa that really got you into photography? Because your wildlife photography is absolutely stunning. Do you know, it's probably it was probably the other way around, I think. Um we were really late comers into the whole travelling abroad thing and holidays. My 40th birthday, we went to we had one of these conversations where we said if you could go anywhere in the world for your holiday, where would you go? Mm-hmm. And C just said, I'd go on safari. And I'm thinking, we've been married how long? And how did I never know that? <laughs> so 
I'm, a, I'm an impulsive person, so the next day I'm there, you know, Ooh, okay. looking it up and come home with this little, you know, in my lunch hour, I'm going to just check this out and came back with this. We could go with ease, you know, and he'll laugh at you because he says, that's what I do, you know, if I, he almost doesn't want to plant the seed in case I, I go off and, and, <laughs> and I've already booked the holiday. So yeah, long story short, 40th birthday at Kenya. And we made the decision then that we would do it again. It was just a taster. We just had a couple of days off the back of a beach holiday, actually, and fell in love with it. Um, it was seven years before we went back. So seven years. Um, I think that was the year Steve retired. So it was a milestone. What should we do? And we went to South Africa. Um, we did Cape Town. We did the wine region. And then we finished up um, in a really nice lodge on the edge of, it was the Makalali uh, Greater Game Reserve, actually. It's called Garonga, and it only had six tents, six tents on stilts. And I'm thinking, oh, where's the bathroom? You know, that, those are the <laughs> things I'm thinking about. Like, I wonder if I could do that. And we decided that was for us. That was absolutely the way we wanted to go. And that was probably what really got me into um, picking up my camera again. So I've been a keen photographer from the age of about 13, but mainly scenic views and things like that. And um, so it was, it was being on holiday, doing this safari that got me back into, back into doing that. Um, so we've been back to Africa two or three times since. So we've been to Tanzania, um, back to South Africa and I think having been and you get to know um, you get to know the staff and the guides and you get to hear about how hard it is for them to succeed you know and they have such a the work for three weeks off on and then they've got to drive for three days to get back to their family for a couple of days and then they're back again you know and there's something about that 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 makes you think actually I'd really like to do something so still go back to Africa but to put something back in so that's how the volunteering came about um, and alongside of that and actually that's where the writing came from oh okay so it was almost the other way around so yeah it was it was going on holiday taking lots of photos um, got me to go and do some volunteering work and done the trek in the Sahara the previous year um, so I'd done a bit of charity build up to that so I'd been writing a blog for that so that's kind of where the writing came from and then we went to Botswana last year so we went on a dedicated photography um, 10, 10 or 11 days I think it was in total on the on the Chobe River accompanied by two professional photographers so that was the switch between being just a hobby photographer to, wow, when you really know how to look and I'm not very good with settings on cameras, I'd always shot in auto and to know how to manually use your camera um, is incredibly satisfying. And it's just a wonderful thing because you sort of see things differently, I think, through the lens. Um, so yeah, that's, and again, it's, it's interesting because it Steve's had that interest and he's used his camera <clears throat> much more um, 
I suppose professionally, he's more focused, no pun intended. Um, he's more focused on his photography for years before I was. So this was a great opportunity for us both to start to share an interest um, again, that, that we both get the same level of enjoyment out of really. That's amazing. I mean, I did, um, I call it the photography course, but it wasn't. It was like three hours with Nick Ridley. He did an introduction to um, mm. uh, photography. He's the, the he's, he's a dog photographer. He's, he's like the most amazing dog photographer. And um, I went on the course and I had my little Canon G9, I think it was G11. And everybody else had these massive lenses. <laughs> I was, I was sitting there going, click, click. And he did show us how to use them all. But, and, I, and I still go on auto and rapid shoot because I do lots of like yeah. stuff. And, yeah. um, but you, you certainly look at things with different eyes, don't you? Because yeah. I, I was sitting to one of the girls who's a photographer and I've gone from when I'm out training the dogs now to going, oh, that'll make a nice retreat. To going, oh, that'll make a nice photo. You know, yeah. you, you, you look at everything with different eyes, don't you? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I remember the photos that really made me go, wow, your photos were the ones of the puffins. Oh, you did some honestly. Amazing, yeah, yeah, you did these, this amazing photo of a puffin coming into land. And I mm-hmm. think it had a fish, but it was just stunning. Thought, oh my God, that's just such an amazing photo. Yeah. You know, it was so good. So that's, that's what made me go wow with your photos. Do you find the photography work really helps with your, your artist and bossy stuff? Because you've got this eye of what works and what doesn't work. And I think the two things um, maybe don't help each other, but it, it's, excuse me, <laughs> there's obviously... Um, sorry, just drying my throat there. So... There's obviously a creative side, I think. So the ability to use colours is obviously a, is obviously a big thing, and framing and understanding. Um, yeah, I suppose now I'm just now you start to think about when I first started painting my furniture. I was rubbish at staging it, really rubbish at photographing it. You know, I just quick photo and stuck in a corner somewhere. We occasionally used to bring something in the house and look for a blank wall. But um, but I've learned a lot now about framing the piece and setting it off with what's going on around it. Mm-hmm. And that almost certainly has come from the photography side and understanding how to use the camera so that you get the most natural light. I couldn't have done that, um, couldn't have done that 12 months ago. You know, it was going on, it was going on the Botswana trip and, <clears throat> you know, having people explain to you what settings and what, how things work. And that's how you realise, oh, now I know why that's dark or why that's got shadows and things like that. So it's more the, it's more the mechanical side of using the camera. Uh-huh. Um, sorry, excuse me. No, no, have a drink. Uh, you've been talking all the way through. I've just been sitting back and listening, which has been lovely for me, but probably really tiring for you. Um, <laughs> I am going to ask you some more questions. Have a good drink while I, while I have a chat, because um, I've seen some of the stuff that you've done on Facebook through the Artisan Bothy. Are you okay, Marie? I'm 
I'm having a slight choking. Yeah, you you have a good cough. <laughs> you have a good cough, and I'll just talk. So, um, yeah, I've seen I've seen a lot of your stuff on Facebook, a lot of the furniture that you do, and it always looks amazing. And uh, the restorative work, I haven't really got the patience to do things like that. Although I love painting and I love painting rooms. Um, I think one of my sisters used to restore furniture. She had this, I remember she had this really old table and she sanded it down. She was painstaking with it. And I think for me, I'm, I'm not confident enough to take a piece of furniture and strip it back. Uh, because I think I'd be so frightened because I completely messed mm. it up. And mm. then it's like, okay, I've done this, now what? And one of one of the girls I used to know, we had this really old pine ottoman. We decided we didn't want it anymore. And she says, oh, I'll take it. And it was, it was quite an old-fashioned one. It was the ones where it was like panelled at the front. Do you know what I mean? And she took it. And she sent me a photo about, oh, God, I want it back now. It looked lovely. It was all like grey and then the panels were dark grey and I just uh-huh. great. So what, uh, why did you, what made you get into like furniture restoration or is it called upcycling or recycling? Yeah, or well it's, or? it gets called all sorts of things really. There's upcycling and repurposing and refinishing. Um, <coughs> it's, um, it found me in all honesty when I gave up the events business. Sorry. <coughs> this is not good, is it? No, it's, you know, this is real life, Marie. I talking too much. So, um, yeah, so when I gave up the events business and I thought I'll, I'll probably just write for a while, I'm not really sure what else I want to do. And I realised probably a couple of months into that that it wasn't fulfilling my need to produce something. Yeah. The thing about painting a piece of furniture, events, dressing events, you've got all this hard work in the week, but at the end of it, you have something to show for it. And you're dealing with people on a face-to-face basic basis as well. So I think I'm a, very much a customer-focused person. Mm-hmm. So I was missing the customer interaction. And I was missing... <clears throat> missing producing something and having something in front of me. And um, it was quite by accident. We were doing up the guest room. You know, we've been here for how many years would it be? 10 years or something. Um, 10 or 11 years. No, it was more than that, 12 years. And we were doing up the guest room and we had one of these Victorian towel rails in in there. And um, it was looking a bit shabby. (coughs) And I said to Steve, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And he remembered that there was a shop not too far from here that sold furniture paint. So uh-huh. he said, well, can you paint it? Well, and, and Steve loves wood, you know, he's very much about, don't you dare go near that piece of furniture with your paintbrush, you know. So um, for him to say that, <clears throat> that's what it is. So I set off and I went and got my piece of my paintbrush and my pot of paint. And I came back and uh, and painted up this um, Victorian towel rail. Wow. I loved it. I fell in love with furniture paint. I went, oh, what else can I paint? I'm walking around my paintbrush thing. <laughs> the cabinet. So, so I literally just started painting um, 
furniture to the point where I couldn't get enough of it. I, I swore they were putting drugs in this paint because <laughs> I, I didn't want to leave it. You know, it's like, oh, what else can I paint today? So I turned what used to be my old wedding studio, which was where I used to do, it was my showroom, and it's where I used to do my consultations into my um, painting studio. I should say, it's because um, that sounds like a hobbyist um, business, but I've restored, I helped restore furniture for years. But waxing wood and, you know, picking up old pieces of antiques and, and giving it new life, but by waxing it and staining it and recovering it, I've done all of that, but I've never done any painting. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's how painting came about. And, and I guess I got really brave when I wrote a story about it, actually. Steve said, do you want to do something with this cupboard? And this cupboard was in one of the, we have a row of kennels, the outbuildings with the old um, kennels and beaters bothy. Right. So there was a, it's a big, it used to be a big shooting estate around here, uh, Richard Waddington, you probably have heard of him. Um, and this was the keeper's um, cottage uh-huh. and the kennels. And in the back there was this cupboard and so, I brought it through and I cleaned it all and I sanded it all. And in my head, I was convinced it was a piece of furniture that used to be Stephen's father's and we brought it with us and we stored paint in it and thought that's what it was. So there I am, <clears throat> painting away and, and turned it into something fantastic. But it wasn't, it took me ages. I had to keep going back to the woman I bought the paint from and said, am I doing something wrong? Because this is taking forever. And then I realised it was not that cupboard at all. My mum has that cupboard. And I was telling her about it. She said, I've got that cupboard. That's not, that's not that cupboard. I've got it. And it turned out it was an old cupboard that had been left here when we moved in and it had been had paint stored in it. So goodness knows how old it is. Wow. And that was what gave me the confidence because I thought, if I can do that, I can do anything, you know, um, picking up bits of furniture. So. And you, you do reupholstery as well, don't you? I do, yeah, I do. Reupholstered from you. Yeah, and again, I am self-taught on that. You know, I've, I've learned a lot from reading and, and watching tutorials and things and understanding the fire regulations. There's a lot of... A lot of upholstery goes on that is not necessarily done to standard. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, you, for resale, it's really important that you make sure that you understand uh, the age of the piece and how much you have to strip back and where you have to take it to, and then making sure you've got the relevant um, fire barriers in, depending on what your top piece is going to be. So, um, so the, the the upholstery side is a much more it's harder, mm-hmm. you know, it's harder because you've got to get it right. You know, you're dealing with health and safety and putting it into people's homes and make sure you've got the right labelling and things like that. Um, yeah, but, yeah, that's satisfying too. Don't really think about that with the reupholstery. I mean, you know, when you buy stuff, you have to make sure it's fire retardant and stuff, but then you yeah. didn't even in my head for reupholstering. Mm. So um, do you have a dog in the bossy when you're doing your work? 
Sometimes Kira comes across, not very often, I must admit, um, but she knows if I'm not around, you know, when the door's open, that's, that's where she'll find me. She quite often makes a beeline over there now to just go and have a look, and uh, she occasionally has a little rug just curled up in the corner where she'll, she'll come in there. But it's very rare that we're both in there. Steve has the workshop for the woodworking next door. And sometimes she'll just go in there with him as well. I have a lovely toasty wood burner in there. So when she comes in with me, of course, it's, it's snug as a bug. Where on Steve's side, it's the cold side, you know. It's, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's no fun at all. <laughs> no, no, I think I'd rather be in with you in the warm. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So what's next for Marie? What you, what's your plans? Have you, you've got a young dog at the minute, haven't you? Um, yeah. Have got you getting any more dogs? Not at the minute, I don't think. Um, Isla will be four, I think. So we had a, a litter of puppies from Sally. Um, we actually bought Sally as a... Would she, be, she was a nine-month-old dog. Les, do you know Les McLean? No. No, Les, Les is a, a regular handler and field trialer, and uh, he's been a judge as well at... Um, many field trials and he's from up in Benesway and when we were thinking of breeding from Kira it was less really that put us right on we knew about all the tests that we had to do you know we'll make sure we get a hip scored and we're going to get our eyes tested and things like that but we did it all in the wrong order we completely we went and got our hip scored and everything thought fantastic and then we took her to go and have her eyes tested and we discovered she had hereditary cataracts. Ah. So we were gutted, absolutely gutted. Of all the dogs we've had, Kira is probably the sweetest natured dog you could ever wish to have. Um, she's a keen worker. She's a keen retriever. She, she just, but she fits in with everything, not apart from very recently she started to have some issues, but she's an older dog you know um but but all through i mean she came here in that winter 2010 when we were up to here in snow you know and this little little eight week old nine week old puppy arrived and then saw winter in the kennels you know she just joined the pack and became um so it's it's incredible she's an incredible dog and um yeah, we decided that she would make a good mum and we'd love to have a litter from her because we'd love another dog like her. And of course that all got knocked on the head with the hereditary cataracts. But Leslie's dog, it was Leslie's dog that we were going to use as the stud. Um, and he had a young bitch there at the time who was nine months old. And just out of the blue, he, he got in touch to say he was considering selling her because he was... He was going to be taking a break, I think. He was, he was going away and he wasn't sure that he would have the time. So he was, he was considering selling and would we be interested. So we bought Sally. Sally. Um, if you can hear a noise in the background now, that's Kira just having a little dream, by the way. So that's... Oh, bless that. She's, she's just in the corner. Um, so, so we bought Sally and... Um, Sally's a cracking dog, very strong dog, beautiful, um, incredibly um, switched on, you know, and a very, 
she's a very close, what I call a very close dog, you know, so she'll, she, she's, she just wants to get things right, you know, and she, she works very, very hard. And um, so we did end up having a litter from her. We were ready to bring another dog. We've tended to every two to three years, mm-hmm. think about succession, you know, and I couldn't imagine life without a dog, you know. So we had a litter of pups from Sally and Isla is one of Sally's, um, Sally's pups. So she'll be four years old, I think now. Um, but we're down to three. So we've got Kira, who's a house dog, and we've got Sally and Isla, mum and daughter, who are in the, in the kennels. We lost the scruffy spaniel last year, bless her. She would have been coming up for 13. Good day. Um, and I think we kind of feel that three feels like the right sort of number for us now. You know, the, the bigger the kennels and it's going on holidays and things, just the cost of kenneling is, is another small holiday for us. So, yeah, I think we've, we've kind of got the balance right now with the three. Um, Kira will be coming up for 11. In fact, she's 11 next week. Wow. So we're always thinking about, you know, when who knows how long Kira will will have Kira? Megan was nearly seventeen, so you know I don't think we'd look to introduce another one now. Probably until we know where we are with Kira. I think it is interesting, isn't it? I was talking to my friend last night, and um, we were talking about number of dogs because I I lost Ziggy four years ago. He was my special dog, you know the the dog mm. that you just look at them and know what you yeah. and um and it stopped me training I couldn't train my dogs when I lost them and and now you know for nearly four years later I'm thinking well I was a three-year oh god I've lost track of time and but I used to really enjoy having three because you could take one out and train it and not feel bad about leaving the other two yeah that's right I had company yeah. And whereas now that I'm down to two and now that I'm back to motivated to be training because I just couldn't face training dogs for a couple of years after I lost Sig. Um, I now don't want to take one out on its own, even though I want I want to go out and train my dog. I don't want to take it out on its own because I don't want to leave the other one at home alone, you know. So it's a whole human guilt thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going back up to three. And then when we go on holiday, we take one with us and leave two behind. So they've got company in the mm-hmm. kennel and we've got one dog, which is always much easier to take on holiday with you. And much nicer as well, because yeah. it's a lot more relaxed, isn't it? So Yeah, we're the same. Um, Kira has been our holiday dog now for probably about four or five years, I think. And she she is now a house dog, actually. So she came in the house probably about four, three or four years ago, I think, um, after she'd, she'd had an operation and then never ended up going back out you know you're slightly selfish but you just think oh do you know I don't think I could have a, a house without a dog in it now yeah. um so yeah she's very adaptable and she she's quite happy on holiday so kenneling the other two together on their own mm-hmm. is much much easier and of course then when they all go in kennels that you know they all pile in together and they're great company anyway so yeah Oh, that's lovely. Oh, Marie, it's been so good talking to you. And, I, you know, we kind of meandered everywhere. And um, it's just been so lovely chatting to you and finding out a bit more about you because I've always been really interested in um, 
you know, your photography and your she wordsmith, which we haven't <coughs> talked about much. How's your mum's book going? My mum's book's doing really well. Um, she keeps joking about she might need to have an offshore account. I've had to <laughs> calm her down and say, it's not that much, mum. But we have to remember, <laughs> my mum and dad, you know, have always scrimped and saved and they've never had much money. Um, you know, I was always amazed as a kid how much, how easy, how she made very small wages go a long way. Um you know, that was a, an incredible thing, really. But for my mum, I think it's more the pride of having finally published the book that she wanted to publish 30 years ago. You know, I, I proofread two or three chapters for her just as I started work. So I would have been 18 and I'm wow. 55 now. Um, so that's how long ago, you know, we're talking... Over 30 years. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. So she's, she's, uh, yeah, she's, she's proud of having done it. And a few people have said, when's the sequel coming out? So what's the um, book called? Mm -hmm. Let me write this down. What's the book called? And I'll put it's a link. It's called uh, Of Kith and King, A Moonraker's Tale. And uh, a moonraker is uh, said to be someone that was, um, born in Middleton within the sounds of the, the Nouster Bell, I think. Uh, there are one or two other places in the country that also claim Moonrakers for similar things. It's a bit like um, a true scouser or Liverpoolian, I think, you know, if you're born oh. within a, a certain radius. So the Moonraker is the link back to... Wow, of Kissington and Moonraker's Hill. What's her name? What's it published under? Mag Fletcher. Mag Fletcher. Yeah. And it's available on Amazon. I shall find it and put it in the link along. In the link, so um, she be delighted. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Yeah, because everyone calls me a Geordie, but I'm actually Jerovian because I come from Jara. Oh, okay. Geordies who would call me a Jerovian. Yeah. So, so we like that. We've got you've got this. like time side, and then within time side, you've got you know the standard mm -hmm. shields, and you've got the Jerovians from Jara. And, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, so there you go that's yeah interesting it is it? really amazing but Marie it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and um yeah best of luck and let me know let me know how her little Kira gets on as well I will yeah she's doing really well at the minute I mean the the tips that you gave us certainly have helped um and of course she she went and had this dental work last week which we now think was almost certainly contributing to um, some of the stress that she was having. Um, but the best thing of all is she just loves this new calming bed. That, hey. um, yeah, absolutely. Night times, oh, touch wood, don't want to speak too soon, but um, yeah, she seems quite settled at night, despite the fact that we've just recently changed bedding and curtains in there. I was a bit nervous about doing it, you know, I think is she going to suddenly think this is not my house anymore? Um, no, she's fine. Brilliant. She I have just ordered one for my dogs because we're about to redo the office and um, I've ordered a really big one in the corner for the three of them. Fantastic. You want to get on with them. Absolutely. They're so comfy. <laughs> oh, I will definitely. Definitely. Marie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. For You're very welcome. On the podcast. And, um, Good luck with everything. I hope you all go. Thank through. you very much. Yeah.
No, it's brilliant. And thanks very much for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. Apart from the coffee and fit in the middle, but um, we're back on track. So, super. Thanks very much, Les. Thank you. Thank you. And you. Bye bye.